Captain America is live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Herc, happy Memorial Day. Look at us working overtime. Working overtime. It should be a day off. Thanks, Seth, for uh, making an appearance. I know it was a difficult way to make it, but I appreciate it. <laughs> you know Seb and his uh, tech problems. They always seem to rear their ugly head at the uh, least opportune time. We'll leave that story for another day because we got plenty to get to in this show. We got part two of our interview, Herc, with Juan Carlos Osorio, the former manager of the Mexican national team. Casey Keller is actually going to join us in a little bit as well. We got a lot to talk about in terms of American goalies. Of course, U.S. playing Morocco on ESPN a little bit later this week. Plus, we got Katarina Macario. She is still on fire in the women's game. All right, let's get to it, though. We got to start with the Liga MX final. Pachuca Atlas, second leg, Sunday at Estadio Hidalgo. Everybody in attendance oh. for this one. Even Chucky Lozano. Look at that. Don't touch the trophy, Chucky. Ex-Tuso yeah, player. He's not playing in the game. Ex-Tuso player. Uh, eighth minute. Romario Ibarra, the solo route. At one point, Romario Ibarra was on the books at Minnesota United. Look at this little Meg right here. And then the finish. Say what you want. Camilo Vargas trying to make himself big. That is a ridiculous finish. Okay, so Atlas, of course, we're up 2-0 after the first leg. Lead down to 2-1. Later, a possible penalty here. Oscar Murillo fouled in the box. But... When we go to VAR, Fernando Hernandez, the referee, is going to find an offside, Herc. What did you make of all this? Uh, I didn't think it was a penalty kick. I'm astonished they found some way to call an offside. I guess like a passive, <laughs> if you will, shield from Romario Ibarra right there interfering on the play. I don't think this was really contact at all. And then plus, wait, mm. it, it, there's going to be like a... You don't see contact there? One, keep it going, two, three, and then he falls down on the fourth step. Like, come on, man. Sell it a little better. All right, so Pachuca still. Look at this. This is weird. You, uh, is, they're really going to say he's interfering here? Like, he's. Look at, it's the screen, right? It's like an NBA, like the old pick and roll. I or guess something. it's yeah. a screen. That's the worst screen I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Atlas on the attack a little bit later on for Sealeo with the shot. Maybe it was a cross. I don't know, but it's a, a pretty clear handball, isn't it, Herc? It's a handball. Yes, it is. I feel bad for the defender because it's such a close shot. I mean, what's he going to do? Move his hand? You can't really do it. But Julio Furch is not going to care. And he's usually money from that spot. Yep. A man who hit the uh, penalty gave Atlas their first title after the 70-year drought with a, a big one right there. You see his celebration. You saw the reaction from Guillermo Almada. Very upset for Pachuca. But reason to celebrate for Pachuca just before the half. Of course. It had to be Nicolás Ibáñez. Hey, Nico Ibáñez has been doing this all season. All Liguilla, too. He's been on fire. Four goals entering this game in Liguilla. This was the fifth right there. The number nine shows up. All right, so we got 3-2 aggregate. We got a sweat. 80th minute. Like, Seb, what are we doing? Like, honestly, this is par for the course for Liguilla and the referees. Like... That's so accidental. They, they call this a red card. Everything in Phantom. This is called Phantom when it's in slow-mo. Mm. Everything in Phantom in slow-mo looks worse. That's never a red. Yes, of all the refereeing decisions, I think that one was the most unanimous. That should not have been a red card. Pachuca coming for it late. Ah, so close. Yet so far away. And Herc, in the end, after a 70-year drought, back-to-back -back titles, for Atlas, amazing stuff. And of course, uh, lots of talk in Mexico about how Atlas won this title. Some from our colleague at ESPN, David Feitelson, uh, who also made some similar points about Real Madrid and how they won the Champions League title over Liverpool. That, of course, drew a response on social media. You'll never guess from who, though. From Timo Courtois, <laughs> the man of the weekend, went on social media uh, and hit David with an LOL after his comment. So, Herka, what do you think? Does how you win matter? As they say in Mexico, formas. Do the formas matter as it comes to Atlas, not, not, not Real Madrid? Uh, no, and especially not as it comes to finals. There's a saying that's such a beautiful saying, and I didn't really get to feel or experience it until I was in Mexico. It's mm -hmm. este, las finales no se juegan, se ganan. Finals aren't to be played, they're to be won. 
And as a player, that's a mantra. As a player, that is mentality. That is what you strive for because nobody remembers how well you played if you didn't win. It's about the finals, about the trophies you get to lift up. Those are the important moments. Guess who else doesn't care? The fans. The fans mm. don't care. The fans want their trophies. In a final, finals are usually tense. They're usually uh, defensive. They're usually ugly. You gotta win. It's about winning. Winning is celebrating all the good work you've done in the season. When you can win a final, it's a celebration of what you've done in that regular season. So no, forms don't matter. And also, by the way, there are a lot of different forms you can appreciate, whether that's offensive, defense, tactical schemes, whatever the case may be, there are different ways to enjoy this game. Yeah, and I don't even think it was that bad from Atlas. Like, I wouldn't compare Atlas to the, the Jose Mourinho days of old, or even what Real Madrid did against uh, Liverpool. I think Atlas was... Maybe not the better team than Pachuca, but you could say that they played them very evenly, a very deserving champion and a team that plays well. So this idea that Atlas in any way like stole this final, I, I don't think I would ever buy into. Uh, it doesn't matter how you win. That's the bottom line, right? If you're winning trophies and the how goes out the window, it might matter how you play. I don't think it matters at a club like Atlas. I don't think it matters how you win at a club like Atlas when you haven't won for 70 years. There are, Herc, though, some examples of where it does matter how, right? In the all-time debate and in some clubs. I mean, maybe at some point, I don't think it's the way now, but at a club like Club America, you could win ugly and still leave the fans dissatisfied. Not at Atlas, but there are some examples. Uh, let me ask you a question. You're an Americanista, a fiel mm. Americanista. When's the last time they lost a final and you're like, man, but they played well? No. 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 no but That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, all right, let's get to some buy or sell after the uh, Liga Mekis final because we got some uh, big questions to ask uh, about what went down this weekend. Let's start with, oof, look at this one. Is Atlas the new grande of Guadalajara? Of course, the city they share with their arch rival, one of the big clubs of Mexico, Chivas. Herc, what do you say? Sebi, I am buying. Hear me out for a second. Uh, what makes Chivas un grande? What makes Chivas that team, that giant? It's because they're a popular team, insanely popular. One of the most, if not the most popular team in all of Mexico. It's because of their history, what they did in the 50s, honestly. It's because they play with Mexican-only players. It's that mantra, it's that mystique, it's that... It's that sense of pride that the Mexican people have in Chivas. It's not their present. It's not the reality on the field. It's not how great mm. they play. It's not the players that they have today. Uh, well, Atlas in one year, two seasons, one year, two seasons, has managed to tie Chivas in trophy halls in league play in the last 25 mm. years. What equipo grande... Thinks they're grande with two trophies in 25 years. Atlas right now has better direction, better ownership, better players, better record, and more trophies. On the field today, Atlas is the new attraction in Guadalajara. Now, that doesn't mean they're popular. That doesn't mean they're popular. It doesn't mean that they're going to have more fans or more neutrals because Chivas will get that. But they're the better draw right now. What a state Chivas is in that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an Americanista that has to come here on Football Americas and defend their place in their own home city. The question there is giant, right? Not best team. If you're asking me who the best team in Guadalajara is, I don't think it's close. If you're asking me who's likely to be the best team over the next half decade, decade, I'll go with you, Atlas, as well. But the question is giant, which I, I translate to gigante, gigante, okay? club that resonates not just domestically internationally nobody knows Herc, chivas as, our, as our producer bro. and noted chivas super fan beto alberta would say you're being a you're being a prisoner of the moment here Herc, you're being a total prisoner of this is the what moment. happens look when you have look editors look at, look at where look at where Atlas is on, on the cover chiva of cancha there what are fans. they the fourth headline this is what happens when you have pro editors or editors that are pro Chiva fans. You get disrespect. This is, producer, this is Mala producer, Leche. Put some respect. Mala Leche by the people. Put some respect on Atlas's name. Oh, that was a No, no. What did, what did Beto say in the production meeting? Ratlas. Oh. <laughs> Eso lo dices tú. Eso lo dices tú. 
Okay, second buy or sell here. Uh, let's focus on the historical context here, right? Because Atlas joins a small fraternity of teams to have won the Bicampeonato back-to-back -back titles in Liga Mekis. Leon in 2013-2014 and Pumas under Hugo Sanchez back in 2004. Herc, are you buying Atlas as the best of the Bicampeones? No, I I'm selling. I, I very much enjoy the way Atlas plays in the sense that they know exactly who they are. Like they beat Pachuca and you knew exactly how they were going to beat Pachuca. Uh, they've been that team all year. They've been that team for quite some time with Diego Coca. But you look at these players, like 1 through 26, if you will, line per line, goalie, defense, you know, all, all these different lines. You're probably not going to remember a lot of these players. Maybe three, right? You're going to remember Camilo. Yeah. You're going to remember probably Julio uh, Fortune. You're going to remember Quiñones. Maybe Rocha around there. But then you're going to start forgetting some players. Uh, and also the style. You said the matter, though, the, how teams play kind of matter, right? It's a, it's a defensive scheme. It's a scheme that's transitional. I don't mind it. But I think about Leon. And I remember a lot of those players. Mm. I remember the good they did. I remember the ballers that they had in their prime. I mean, you had a Chapo Montes who was coming up. You had a Guli Peña who was running all cylinders. A Bocelli who was one of the best foreign players uh, to come in the last decade to Liga MX. Uh, Matosas who had this free-flowing football about him. Gaito Vasquez in the center of the field. Uh, for one of those championships, you had Rafa Marquez in the back. I mean, this team was flying Burbano out of everywhere. They had offensive juggernauts, and they played well, man. They played so well. Not only did they beat you, but they beat you convincingly. It's a, it's a team that left you remembering how you mm -hmm. felt. I got to go with Leon. All right. When it, again, to the point of when does it matter how you win when we get to an all-time debate? And there yeah. I think maybe Atlas does fall a little bit short, right? That Leon team, how good were they? Remember where Mexico was in the beginning of 2014. The national team was a disaster just trying to get a ticket to Brazil. Uh, and what did they do? Yes, Piojo Herrera comes in, but they took the two best teams in Mexico at that time. Leon America, they basically mashed them together and said, uh, we hope this can save it. That's how good that Leon team was. They basically took the core, the base of that Leon team, mixed it with Piojo Herrera's America, pop, pop, pop. And that team, only, only New Zealand, got qualified and then was the base of the team that played so well in 2014. So I'm with you. Actually, I think Atlas... Probably, unfortunately, of the three ranks third for me, but um, but this is not the moment. That, to hate that, on that Pumas team, by the way, got in as a ninth place team, like repechaje. So mm -hmm. you know, they, a little food for thought there. Okay, last buy or sell. Now we've talked about this, huh? Atlas, as good as they are, don't really have representation on the Mexican national team. So what about their captain, Aldo Rocha? Does he, who, by the way, is the only doble bicampeón in Liga MX history. Does he deserve a call-up for the Mexican national team? That Leon team we were talking about, he was there. That's how good yeah. of a team it was. Uh, I am buying, buying me some Aldo Rocha. Look, it, it's not this season only. It's not this year only. Like, he's been one of the best central midfielders in all of Mexico since his Morelia days. I was saying it back then when he was captaining Morelia. Now, he's the best central midfielder in all of Mexico. He's only 29 years old, okay? And, and especially with the form of some players who play in central midfield in the Mexican national team or in that setup, you got to get them now. There, there is no two-way uh, player in better form. There is no player with the leadership abilities, with the bite, with the distribution, the ability to get on the end of things, the eggs, the aguacates, and, mm. and momentos criticos. Like he wants to be there, he wants to do that, and he's proven it. I don't know why we've not seen him under Tata already. You know what? If there is a thing that this Mexican team seems to lack, at least through qualifying, it was that character, right? That real gumption. Aldo Rocha would give you that if he's on the field. Like, are we really talking about a player here who could burst into a, a starting lineup role or even a role off the bench? Sam, I feel like that's a bit of a stretch. It's not a bit of a stretch. Look at the players who have started under Tata. Luis Romo has started. Charlie Rodriguez mm. has started. Uh, you've had Orbelin start there. You have Guardado. You've got, I mean, there's so many different ways that he goes about that midfield. This guy will start. He can start. You've even had a player like Cordoba start there. So yes, he can play. Yep, he can play. A couple other Atlas players at uh, positions of need. Julio Furch. Uh, maybe if Mexico needs an yeah. arm, you, you could bring him in. Uh, what Reyes? about Luis Reyes at, yeah. at left back? Another position of left of back. He also need. plays as a right winger, left winger. That guy's a little utility knife. You, you play him anywhere. Okay. Uh, speaking of 
well, outside backs, Alan Mosso uh, might be moving from Pumas to Chivas. In fact, looks like he's set to join Chivas for a $4 million transfer fee. Mosso, of course, uh, still trying to break into the Mexican national team for the World Cup. Wonder if uh, this move will help. Certainly can't hurt. Kafu, Mofu, Mosso. Um, I don't know if this is a good move. I don't know if this is a player that Chivas really need. He's a right back, mm. but I think he's a good player. All right, we'll find out next season. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. U.S. men's national team got four games over the next couple weeks. Two friendlies and two Nations League matches. Jordi Mihailovic will not be available. The young superstar. In fact, the player that Hercules Gomez made the bold prediction would be Major League Soccer's MVP despite the call-up is out with an ankle injury. The 23-year-old will not be replaced on Greg Berhalter's roster. We learned that earlier on Monday. Late last week, we learned about Zach Steffen. That's right, the Manchester City goalie will miss this call-up for what the team is labeling family reasons. New York City FC's Sean Johnson replacing Steffen on the roster. So the three goalies will be Johnson, Matt Turner, Ethan Horvath. Uh, first up for the U.S. fellow World Cup qualifier, Morocco. That game in Cincinnati on Wednesday. All right, for more on this, time to welcome into the show our good friend and colleague, Casey Keller, who joined us on Memorial Day. I know we must have had to dip deep into the Football America's budget to make this appearance possible. Anything can happen, guys. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can happen. You heard it right there from Casey Keller. All right, Casey, uh, we got a lot of goalies to talk about. Let's start with Zach Steffen. He's going to miss this call-up. Do you think it jeopardizes his spot as a starting goalie for the U.S. men's national team? Well, it definitely doesn't help his spot. I mean, because you think that there's so few opportunities leading up into this World Cup of, of how many opportunities you're going to have to impress the coaching staff. Look, I think we all have seen that if, if we're looking at, at favorites, uh, Zach Steffen would be the favorite of Greg Berhalter. I mean, I think that's been pretty clear. Um, now, the question mark comes is, didn't have a great season. Uh, the times when he did play for Man City, there was questions asked. Obviously, this is one right there that was a big moment. And and so here's that chance to then come in, play a series of games, and then just kind of reestablish yourself in everybody's mind to say, okay, this is why I'm choosing him to be the number one. Look at the look at how well he played against Morocco. Look at how well he played in in these group of friendlies coming up, plus the plus a Nations League. Uh, now you're not going to see that. Now you open the door for somebody else to come in mm. and do exactly that. Play really well. And then add a question mark into a manager's mind and, and press's mind and, and fans' minds that, all right, here, here's Matt Turner. He stepped up again and, and played really well in the absence of Zach Steffen. Uh, so, yeah, those are all uh, issues, let's just say. Yeah, I mean, absolutely will jeopardize his position with the U.S. men's national team. Think about how his position was jeopardized the first go-around to no fault of his own. It was a gold cup. I mean, it was a gold cup. He couldn't be there because there were no first-choice starters with the U.S. men's national team. Matt Turner has a lights-out tournament, opens that door. And once he opened it, he was kicking it and kicking it and trying to kick it down. So now it's Zach Steffen has a back injury. Zach Steffen has a knee injury. Zach Steffen has an illness. Whatever the case may be, it's out of sight, out of nine. And if I'm a nine, if I'm a center back, if I'm a goalkeeper, I'm freaking out. I want to be there every single time because it's like Casey just said. You're leaving the door open for somebody else. So this can mm. absolutely jeopardize his position. Yeah, the one thing that's clear here is... Go ahead, Case. And, and, and it's not like... You just started every game for Man City. I right. mean, you barely played another season. So these are the opportunities. I think if it was a case where, you know, even if he played 40 games this year for Man City, there's still a point where, oh, I'm too cool 
to be in with the national team, I need a vacation or whatever else. I mean, I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth. I'm just, uh, just uh, for example. But but that's not the case. The case is that Zach needs games, and mm. here's some games that he's going to be missing, and it's yeah. uh, that makes it that little bit more difficult. Yeah, the spot's definitely not locked down, right? If if Memocho was missing these games from Mexico for family reasons, we wouldn't be having the same conversation, right? That's a guy who's got the job locked down. Zach Steffen clearly in a in a very different conversation. Another conversation he's in very soon, June 10th, the transfer window opens. So a key time right now for Zach Steffen on a lot of fronts. Speaking of transfers and speaking of potential transfers for American goalies, have you guys seen this? Gaga Slonina linked to Real Madrid. Fabrizio Romano, the European reporter of Here We Go slash Twitter fame, says Real Madrid are preparing an opening bid for the 18-year-old Chicago Fire goalie. Of course, a couple weeks ago, Slonina committed his international future to the U.S. amidst interest from Poland. Casey, Slonina to Real Madrid at 18 years old. Good idea or bad idea for the young prospect? I think some of it really depends on what Real Madrid plans for him, uh, because you know obviously he, he's not stepping into the first team. So, is there an idea that he plays for Real Madrid's second team? Is there an idea that he plays out on loan somewhere? Does he loan? I mean, I'm hearing rumors that he's loaned back to Chicago for a couple years. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at the situation with a good young goalkeeper with a European passport, uh, it doesn't surprise me that clubs are. Are, are looking to to secure his future uh when when you're looking to see what the transfer fees are for players now if you can get somebody young get him into a system get him into in just on your books i mean let's look at chelsea for example who was another team that was supposedly interested um they had i think was it 47 players on loan last year to different teams <laughs> around europe so it's understand a young player going to a big club doesn't necessarily mean you're going to that club Mm. bear with me for a second guys it's a terrible idea (laughs) now i i understand that going to real madrid linking your name your brand to real madrid is a win just by osmosis i understand that but he needs to develop. He needs to play. He's going to go to Real Madrid Castilla, the most likely scenario. That is their second team that Casey was talking about. That is like the third tier in Spain, and they only play amongst other reserve teams. And it's almost a semi-professional setup, if you will, from, from my understanding. Uh, so it's not exactly a recipe for him to step into first team. He's not going to go over Thibaut Courtois. Thibaut Courtois is 30 years old, <laughs> and he just happened to win a Champions League. So that's going to go out the window. Will he get loaned to a mid-table team elsewhere in Europe, like Casey says, or even back to Chicago Fire? Chicago Fire right now aren't exactly killing it. He's not exactly developing the correct way. Maybe he's going to learn from these lumps. Absolutely. But he needs to go somewhere where he can develop further in his pedigree and do well and play. I don't see that being the case with a team like Real Madrid. And we see this so many times. And you just touched upon Chelsea. I mean, we've seen Matt Miazga. We've seen Ulises Davila. We've seen so many players go through there mm. into that Chelsea setup and in elsewhere. And all of a sudden are in Australia with all due respect. So it, it needs to be a situation where he can play one and two continue to develop. Well, Herc, mm. not only that, I mean, you look at what Chelsea paid for Pulisic and he's still been in and out. So exactly. talk about not just a kid. So yeah, it's a... It is. I agree with you 100%. I think it's really important that whatever move is made, there has to be an idea on playing and developing Mm. and being somewhere where you can play. Because let's be honest, there's not a lot of 18-year-old goalkeepers playing in top leagues around the world. So if you're going to go somewhere, you got to go somewhere where they know they need somebody and that you're going to have the opportunity to play. But then in the end, uh, you have to prove, again, that that you deserve to play at that age. Like I said, very few. There's a reason for that because so much of goalkeeping is decision-making and you only get good at decision-making by having to make those decisions under pressure. So you have to be good enough where they respect that you can play, but then they also understand that there's going to be issues with playing you. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough task. Casey, I, I get it from a player's standpoint, especially like a teenager. It's a very hard, very hard to say no to Real Madrid. Um, let's say he goes 
and he goes down the, the Matt Miazga route, like that loan after loan after loan, but, but getting European experience. Would that be better or worse, you think, than, than staying in MLS and continuing to develop in the American game? I think some of it depends, again, on the situation at that club. I mean, are you going to Belgium, Holland, uh, or are you playing, are you able to play at a mid-table, lower-table team in Bundesliga or La Liga itself? Or, or, you know, are you with a passport, it opens up to maybe even playing a, a tough 50 games uh, in the English Championship. So, I mean, there's a lot of options available, but... You have to really, you really have to to speak with whoever is, you know, if it is a Real Madrid, you know, what's the plan, and and mm. and is this, yes, to your point, how do you turn down Real Madrid? Yeah. You don't know what you're saying. I mean, as an 18 year old kid, but there has to be more to it. There has to be more of a thought process other than just. Hey, I'm signing for Real Madrid. Isn't that cool? Because you're eight, it's it's a it's not a sprint. Pro sports uh, a career is a marathon, and understand how you set yourself up early in your career can really depend can can be a determining factor on how long your career actually is. You know, Seb, uh, you interviewed him not too long ago, and I was really impressed with his maturity. Uh, but if he goes down that route of being loaned out to like the Matt Miazga route where he's in different leagues and he's got to prove himself, I think it's a lot better than him being in Major League Soccer in Chicago where he's got all this media attention in his local market and probably uh, national-wise. National and he's filling his heads up, head up with this circus, with these ideas that things mm. are happening. And we're seeing a lot of these errors for the Chicago Fire that are on him, games that he's losing for the Chicago Fire. I mean, there are 10 league games right now where they've not won, and he's part of that. I think it's messing with them. So a decision going somewhere and working in that craft may be the solution. So a lot of that's... Yeah, the point ahead, is making is one of the big problems with with MLS and the way that the pay structure works and everything else is that competition for positions. I mean, you know, at, at big clubs in Europe or big-ish clubs, even at that, uh, there's competition all the way around. I mean, right now, you know, Gaga's going to play regardless of what happens or how bad he plays at Chicago. That's not the case. He gets an opportunity. The, the, the keeper in front of him isn't playing very well. He's going to have two or three games. And if he doesn't play well in those games, mm. he might not know when he's going to get another chance after that. So, and that's the, I think that's the point where Herc really makes a good point is, is getting into a situation where he truly has to fight and compete and be, be good every day. Because if he's not good every day, he won't play. All right, let's keep on the theme of American goalies. Ethan Horvath and Nottingham Forest are going up from the championship to the Premier League. The Colorado native actually played the last few minutes of Forest victory over Huddersfield in the promotion playoff final, replacing starter uh, Brees Samba as Forest won 1-0 at Wembley. All right, Casey, uh, including Ethan Horvath, why don't you give us your depth chart in goal uh, for the U.S., Right now, as we stand, what, six months away from the World Cup? Yeah, that's the that's the tricky depth chart, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, because you're really looking at right now, Matt Turner's playing uh, for New England, but obviously there's that he's supposed to be going to, to Arsenal. You know, like anything, I, you always, you hear he's going, but until it actually happens, you're always kind of waiting until that, but... You don't expect him to, to be playing a whole lot at that stage. We know that, that Zach Steffen is not going to be beating out Ederson anytime soon. Uh, Ethan Horvath wasn't playing in the championship, so I find it interesting that they would put him in as the starting goalkeeper in the Premier League. Uh, mm. So, yeah, there's a there, the depth chart is interesting because then you're going to – you know, the, you know, like I said, Sean got called in and, you know, Sean's been a, a good, steady, you know, goalkeeper in MLS for a long time. You're looking at, you know, Bill Hamid that's been into a bunch of camps. You know, there's been some shout for, you know, for, 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 for different players, Steph Fry, for example, and the success that he's had at Sounders to maybe get an opportunity at 36 with, with no real uh, international experience. So yeah, the, the depth chart is, is interesting. And it's something that, 
the U.S. hasn't had to deal with for a while. And, and I think that's what's probably scaring people more than anything is that this just hasn't been a problem for the men's national team for 20, 30 years. Can I, I didn't hear Gaga in there. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> no, that's what it is, though. That's, that's exactly what it is. I mean, think about this. You're naming off players, and they're, they're to their own right, they're very good goalkeepers, but it's never been a situation the U.S. men's national team has had to deal with. I mean, never, never. This is the first time where there's a controversy for not the right reasons. Before, it was mm-hmm. Casey Keller, Brad Friedel. You know, that was like, both of these guys are playing at a high level. Who do we go with? And there was that type of war between the players, that type of competition. Now it's like, mm, this one's not playing. Mm, that one had an error here. It's not for the right reasons. And I think that's what freaks out a lot of fans. Casey, just to be clear, you got Stefan at the top of the depth chart right now, right? Like if you had to pick who's going to be the starter in Qatar, you think it'll be Zach Stefan? He's the leader in the clubhouse. It looks that way. I mean, uh, that, that's what, but that's, I think what's interesting with having to pull out of these four games, because that's the point we were making in that first conversation is yes, probably at this stage, because of the way Greg instilled him back as the starter during qualifying and he did fine. You know, there wasn't anything where you really went that it was, really bad but there also wasn't anything that you went okay this significantly solidifies him as the starter but now not playing and if if matt turner can do what he did uh to herc's point when he had the opportunity in that gold cup then the doors all the way back open and and then the question mark will be is going into the world cup is anybody playing is anybody playing Mm. enough games where that actually matters or is it going to be a case of uh, we're going to get into camp and we're just going to have to go with who we have a gut feeling is going to do the best for us Hmm. if if zach stefan doesn't make a move ethan horvath might be your leader in the clubhouse right because uh samba the the goalie for nottingham force he's been linked to like half the premier league so if ethan horvath goes into next season as a starter for a premier league team suddenly he's playing and Herky would have a huge advantage over everybody else in any depth chart. I, I think so. I mean, I don't even think it I, – I know we've had this discussion, but think about – I mean, Matt Turner's playing right now. Have you heard anything particularly good about Matt Turner and his play with the New England Revolution today? I, that's not been the case. So to Kay, or Casey's point, it's about going with your gut. And if he's the only one playing at a high level of the Premier League, it's de facto. The one okay, tricky real part co- about that we got to talk real quick about Horvath is – He's, it's been a lot of years since he's been an out-and-out starter at any club he's been at. So I think that'll be the interesting thing if, if, if Nottingham Forest, if he does get the opportunity or not, or if the first-choice goalkeeper leaves, they sign somebody else. Hmm. All right, guys, so we do have the United States against Morocco. First of these four games for Greg Berhalter's team coming up Wednesday. Let's give folks a reason to watch, right? we got a lot of positions, maybe spots in the lineup that are up for grabs. Casey, as we head into these four games, which spot in the starting lineup do you think is most up for grabs? And I guess we could probably leave goalies aside, right? Because we've given them a lot of love uh, yeah, we've already. Kinda, we've talked about that a little bit. But um, look, I mean, we, what, what's been the biggest conversation this whole time? Uh, all through, before qualifying even started. There's no true number nine. There's no guy that is, you say... Okay, there's a striker scoring goals at a high level somewhere. Uh, look, it's, it's nice that Jesus Ferrer is going, scoring some goals this season, but yeah, you're, you're looking at a, at, a, at a position where, you know, it's right now completely wide open and you just wonder who's going to take it and what direction uh, Greg Berhalter is going to go. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's tough not to say the number nine when you've got Ricardo Pepe, who's not going to be around. Josh Sargent's not in the picture. You've got Jordan Peefock, who maybe unjustly isn't in the picture anymore. Uh, Matthew Hoppy, Daryl DK, uh, neither are, are actively playing. So it's very easy. I, I see what you're saying. I think it's the obvious one. But I'm going to go with center back um, because we're in a situation right now uh, as pundits where you're looking at this 
uh, playground of center backs going in, and you don't know who that number two is. You know that Walker Zimmerman is probably going to be there uh, and be that de facto guy for Greg Berhalter, but Miles Robinson going down with that Achilles tendon injury, and he's probably most likely not going to be ready mm. by the time the World Cup rolls around. And even if he is, you know, at what capacity, uh, what will his percentage of health be? Uh, so who's that number two? Uh, John Brooks is out of the picture. Uh, we still mm. don't know why. Uh, Eric Palmer Brown is coming into the picture. Cameron Carter Vickers is coming to that picture. Uh, who can slot in there next to is it, uh, Mark McKenzie next to Walker Zimmerman and, and be that guy? We don't know. To me, that's a position that's up for grabs. And I said it before. If I'm a nine, if I'm a center back, if I'm a goalkeeper and I'm not there, Chris Richards, if you're not there because you're injured, it's out of sight, out of mind. And I'm got to be freaking out. Well, let's look at let's go to this. You mentioned Walker Zimmerman. I mean, Walker Zimmerman got his shot in qualifying when he wasn't even called into the camp. Yeah. You know, I mean, somebody had pulled out, he'd gotten an opportunity and then he took it with both hands. So you want to talk about opportunities that arise in these little windows. Walker Zimmerman's a prime example of a guy that that wasn't even called into the squad, got an opportunity to play. And now, Herc, he's your out and out starter in that group. So, yeah, things can change really quickly. All right. So center back, goalie, number nine, all reasons to watch. Can I throw in? The second winger position, too. I feel like we know Polisic is going to be one of the wingers. There's 20 other guys that could be that second winger. Probably going to be some type of rotation uh, in Qatar. But I think that, that position also, as we look at the 11, up for grabs. All right, Casey Keller, I know we made you wait. Uh, thank you very much. Get back to that. Get back to that cookout there uh, at Memorial Day. Like if anybody has a spot for Memorial Day cookout, so the cookout, it's Casey. Gone. It's Casey. <laughs> All right, there Appreciate he goes. Uh, our man, Casey Keller, U.S. Men's National Team. Legend joining us here on Football Americas. And of course, there it is, the United States against Morocco, Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Coverage starts on ESPN2 from Cincinnati. And us, the boys from Football Americas, will be your post-game show, both on ESPN2 and on ESPN+. Don't miss it. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Our next guest here on Football Americas, none other than Juan Carlos Osorio, a man who has managed up and down the Americas, although you probably know him best from his time with the Mexican national team at and leading up to the 2018 World Cup. El Profe joins us here on the show. Carlos, you've got to explain to me what it is that you do on set pieces, because as we compare <laughs> kind of your Mexico to the present Mexico, one of the things that I can't help but notice is that every time there's a corner kick or anything, the Mexico fans that I watch games with, they start biting their nails. They get very, very nervous. Yeah. It wasn't that way when you were the manager. What were you able to do? Uh, and, and my point of view is this. If you have uh, if you have wingers like uh, Irving Lozano, uh, Carlos Vela, uh, Andres Guardado, that uh, they are no they are probably five five foot four or five three I don't know I'm five I think I'm five eight I think and they were smaller than me then I I would say well they will not help us defending. So I might as well just leave them farther up the pitch and that will fix, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the, that's the, um, that's the word that the Spanish people use, fix. So with the three, with, uh, with er Irving Lozano, uh, Andres Guardado, and Carlos Vela, and sometimes, uh, and sometimes um, um, Dos Santos, not Giovanni, the other one, or jo uh, Johan, or, this, or, or, or even Giovanni. So I will leave three as far as far as I could, and one 50-50. And the opposition will always, always leave one, one B1. So let's say if I leave three and a half or three, four, so they leave the four. 
Now they have the kicker. That's fifth. That means that they have five players in the big in the area, and by numerical, just by numerical reasons, we have seven players, right? So I always thought if you have a, a, a three or four guys that are very good in the air, very competitive in the air, most most teams in the world have four, five the most, five the most uh, offensive dema- uh, de- determined influent players in the, in, in, in the box. I want to ask you about the World Cup. Uh, I assume you saw the World Cup draw for Mexico. Some would say it's a scary draw. You have Messi, Argentina, you've got Lewandowski, Poland, and you've got Saudi Arabia there. I'm curious as to your, your reaction of the draw for Mexico. Well, against Argentina, it would be uh, a very difficult match. I think there's no secret. Scaloni has done a great work, and, and Argentina is one of the best, the best national teams uh, in, in, in present times. Uh, Poland, it will be a very uh, direct football. Lewandowski is, as we know, one of the best uh, uh, strikers in the world. And Saudi Arabia, I think it will be a very difficult game. Why? Because they are fast, they are quick. And um, I remember going to watch Previous to the World, to the 18, to the night, uh, to the Russian World Cup, uh, Germany against Saudi Arabia, and they had a chance to score a couple goals because they are very good in the in the transitions from defense to offense. So I think it's a very difficult group, and I think they will compete well, and I wish them the best. But it's very difficult, and it will prove. The, uh, the actual level of uh, Mexican football. Hmm. All right, Juan Carlos. Did I answer, uh, did I answer that question? Yes, yes no. you did. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a very realistic way of answering the question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, Juan Carlos, what's, what's next for you? Uh, obviously, I know you want to get back to work. Uh, do you have any offers from MLS, Liga Mekis? Are we going to be covering Juan Carlos Osorio soon here on Football Americas? What's my next uh, objective is to uh, take a team that are very athletically prepared to do that high pressure and or in a perfect world, a team that can also play long consecutive passes, 10, 12, 15 passes. So when you lose, when you eventually lose the ball, you are close enough to all the players and you try to regain and you actually regain the ball higher up the pitch. So I am looking, uh, I like African nations. I like the countries like Canada, Jamaica, United States, mm. uh, and couple in South America. I, I can tell you where, <laughs> where you can, where you can mix them up. Uh, those, those players that have a muscular fiber type 2V, explosive, and also type 1A, more, ox- they call oxidative, that can go back and forth. Because I want be in one project where I can play high pressure, higher up the pitch, and really play the way I feel football should be played. Mm. All right, they call him El Profe. I think they should call him El Doctor after that scientific yeah. explanation <laughs> we got there. Juan Carlos Osorio, thank you so much for the time. Been great to have you with us here on the show. We hope to have you again soon. If anybody there watching from Southern Connecticut State, where that's the physiological part, that's where I learned from. Uh-huh. And I try to add it to football. That's why I'm so thankful to the United States because it gives me the chance to reach my goals and work and study and practice and start my professional career. Mm. So I wish you all the best. I think you're going to have a great World Cup and hopefully one day, We'll be there to I imagine. talk about football and debate about football. <laughs> uh-huh. I imagine we will cross paths again soon. Thanks again, Profe. Appreciate you. Gracias, Profe. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye-bye.
All right, so Juan Carlos Osorio there, giving us his thoughts on Mexico's group at the upcoming World Cup. There you see it. Argentina, Poland, and Saudi Arabia in there. There are the SPI chances to advance, according to 538.com, in a comparison to when Osorio was in charge back in 2018. That's a look to the past. Let's look ahead. What do you think is in Juan Carlos Osorio's future, Herc? Do you think we're more likely to see him in Liga Mekis? Or Major League Soccer? Uh, Liga Mekis, I think he's probably got a greater market in Liga Mekis, left more mm. of a lasting impression there. Um, yeah, I think Liga Mekis, I know that uh, there were a few teams interested or their hand in that cookie jar trying to get Juan Carlos Osorio. Um, Chivas was one of them. Uh, last mm -hmm. rumor, one that he reportedly denied was Juarez. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Juarez was, uh, was supposedly interested. He looks like he turned them down, yeah. right? Not the same case with Chivas. Always also a link to America at some point, I feel like. But uh, I think Baños acknowledged that in an interview with uh, Alvaro Morales that he was uh, contemplating him. Yeah. There you go. He said he wanted a team that, that would like dominate. So in Liga Mekis, if we're if we're thinking of teams that might fit that criteria, who might soon be in the market for a a manager, anybody come to mind? I'm thinking maybe like a. Cruz Azul or Rayados. I'll tell you what, Miguel Herrera's got one more tournament in that boat sale. Really? You think even at a place like Tigres, pressure on Piojo? Yeah, I think Piojo's got this tournament. Um, yeah, I think the Regios are under the microscope, and I think definitely the teams in Mexico City, Cruz Azul being one of them. Well, actually, Cruz Azul just yeah. got a new coach, so that, that could be. Exactly. Aguirre este, uh, named earlier today, confirmed uh, earlier today, but still... Still, Cruz Azul, we know the seat can get hot there quickly, so uh, maybe a future in Mexico City for Osorio. We should mention also he was linked at one point to LAFC, so there has been interest from MLS as well. Let's check out the highlights from the team he used to manage, who of course played over the weekend against Nigeria at the home of the Dallas Cowboys. This was on Saturday night. About 56,000 in attendance, always a, a good crowd, no matter the Opposition or the players involved on the field. Mexico opening the scoring 12th minute. Santiago Jimenez from Jesus Gallardo. Yeah, a, a fortunate goal, right? A little header from Gallardo, bounces on the turf. Hits it, rebounds right off his, uh, the goalkeeper and onto him. I mean, he'll take that second goal with the national team. He was by far one of the most insistent players offensively, at least. One nothing into the second half. Rodolfo Cota can't quite keep it out. Yeah, I wish you could say this was turf monster, but the ball actually hits the turf and slows down perfectly for Rodolfo Cota. He just kind of loses it, gets tangled up, and it goes in. That was Nigeria's first shot on goal. Mexico would get a quick response, though, in form of an own goal. Gallardo involved again. Yeah, Gallardo. That it's, it's a decent ball in, but this is a very, very doable ball for the defender. Can't put that in your Mexico. own net like that. In the end, wins uh, two one. I have to. I have to say my disappointment. The, the main reason that I was watching that game was I wanted to see Marcelo Flores, uh, and Flores got a big fat DNP. So we got uh, no minutes there uh, for the young Mexican star. Instead, in a match like this, it's Nigeria's. I don't know B, maybe C team. We can't really evaluate Mexico uh, on the whole. We have to evaluate some individuals. And so let's turf. do stock up, stock down, and we'll start with Rodolfo Pizarro. Our stock up or stock down for how we performed against Nigeria. Stock up. Because Rodolfo Pizarro has been an afterthought. Like, most people forgot this guy was around. And you're like, wait, he got called in. And when you see him called in, you complain. But if you watch this game, he was one of the better players for Mexico. He was always on the ball. He was always trying to thread it. He was always trying to be proactive. Did very well in the offensive third, linking up his goal creation. Uh, unlucky on a few spots. But anytime there was danger in or around uh, for Mexico, he was usually at the heart of it. I actually thought it was his, one of his better... Uh, Actuación is one of his better performances with the Mexican national team in quite some time. So I think this is a stock up for him. Okay, look, what, what, what the reports were from Mexico is this is going to kind of be a build-up, right, for right. Tata Martino over these games. The first game was going to be guys on the bubble. Then as we get further and further, we'll get maybe a little bit more what we might see in the first game in Qatar. So this was a bubble game. This was a game, you, if you're on that bubble, you need to shine. For what Pizarro is supposed to be hurt, and, and I'm going to remind you of what you've told me, most talented player of his generation against Nigeria's BC team, unmotivated, not going to a World Cup, shouldn't he dominate more? Shouldn't dominate. he dominate more? That's why, for me, dominate? I give a stock down. I understand he was not terrible, 
I understand he was one of Mexico's better players. Can we expect more from this player if he is truly the greatest talent of his generation? Dominate? Did you say dominate? There isn't one single player that dominated on that field on both teams. It was that bad of a game. It was downright unwatchable at times on that turf. Like, the fact that they can sit there and, like, sell out massive amounts of seats mm -hmm. for a game like this. Juego Moleto speaks to the nostalgia, speaks to the spending power of the Mexican-American in this country and how they mm -hmm. take advantage of it. But to ask a player to dominate in a game like that? Come on, man. I think, you're lowering, I think you're lowering the bar here for a guy who should have a bar that remains pretty high. Uh, let's move up. Next up here on Stock Up. Stock down. Rodolfo Cota. Okay, well, you just saw his highlight. I don't know. Should we call it highlight? Maybe low light. Perk for the goalie. Stock up or stock down? Yeah, this is unfortunately a stock down because I think he's actually a, a very good keeper. Uh, but everybody wants this generational shift. And especially when it comes to the goalkeepers because you got Memo mm -hmm. Cho, who's like, what, 35, 36? Yep. You've got Talavera, who's behind him, who's like 40. Uh, well, Rafa got this 34, and if you're thinking, all right, one and two are probably locks, why can't the third be somebody like Acevedo? So he's under that microscope. This certainly doesn't help. It, this is one of those stock down moments. Yeah. It's a bad mistake, right? That's a, that's a save that I think pretty much any goalie should make, but certainly a uh, goalie of the quality of Rodolfo Cota, and certainly the goalie uh, who's in a situation where Cota finds himself, where he's basically, Herc, we probably agree, competing for that third and final spot as far as goalies go to Qatar with Acevedo. So this is a stock down for me for Cota and in the direct competition, a potential stock up for Acevedo, right? Because those guys are, I mean, are fighting for that ticket. You, you would assume it would be stock up for Acevedo, but Tata Martino has thrown us for a loop every single time we talk about Acevedo. So I, I really don't know, but I, I would agree with you. It's not a flattering moment for a good goalkeeper. Goalies getting a lot of love on this edition of Football Americas. So let's concentrate on the midfield. What about Nene Beltran, Fernando Beltran? A lot of buzz around this player in terms of what he's doing in Liga Mekis with Chivas. What do you think of how we played against Nigeria, Herc? Stock up or stock down? Stock down. I, I mean, there are, there are moments when I watch Nene Beltran play and I'm like, man, he could really play. In between the lines, his movement, the goals that he scored for Chivas, the way he's gotten other players involved, and you're like, mm -hmm. this is why this kid is here. He can play. And then there are other moments where you're like, ah, is he shying away from that tackle? Ah, why is he losing the ball in his own half? Ah, why is he doing this? He really has consistency issues. And in this game, I thought he was very, very inconsistent uh, for a player of uh, presumed quality. Uh, we've seen Nene Beltran very good this year in Liga Mekis. I didn't see that in this game. I'm not expecting that in this game from him, but I am expecting for him, if he wants to make a case for himself, to at least try something, show something. He never once tried to play the ball. He never once tried to be that playmaker. This is so interesting because it's exactly what makes this show interesting. It's what makes this game interesting. You thought Rodolfo Pizarro played well. I thought he didn't. You thought Nene Beltran didn't play that well. I thought he was pretty good. I don't think he was as good as what we've seen at Chivas. And that's the player... That when you see that, you think, hey, that type of energy, that type of ball movement in midfield, Mexico could certainly use that, right? And I think maybe I'm putting him stock up. I don't think he played great last night, not as well as he thought he played. I don't think he played as bad as you thought he played. But my stock up here is not just for last night. It's a little bit what I saw coming in. I'm very high generally on Nene Beltran. Well, you can't do stock up on what you saw in the past. What is this? <laughs> That's <laughs> not how it works, this guy. Okay, uh, speaking of the past, there was a player who was very, very good. His stock was way up in the past. Luis Romo, the story may have changed. He was also on the field last night for Al-3 against Nigeria in Arlington. Herc, is his stock going up or stock down? Down. I don't think there's anybody in this roster who's seen their mm. stock go down quite at the rate of Luis Romo. He leaves Cruz Azul where for the better part of a year and a half I would say he's probably the best player in Liga Mekis and goes to Monterrey and he's been very inconsistent. Granted Monterrey has been inconsistent but he's transferred that over to the Mexican national team and in this game in particular man he was sloppy on the ball giving the ball away he wasn't clean in his touches wasn't clean in, or precise in his passing. He's a player and I mentioned it when I spoke about Aldo Rocha. Aldo Rocha is playing well in a moment where there are other central midfielders who aren't playing well, and I was talking about Luis Romo, this is a stock down for him.
Yeah. You talked about guys who have fallen a long way. He was a starter in World Cup qualifying matches. I think there's a real doubt whether he's going to end up making this team to Qatar, at least the way that he's playing. To your point about the move to Rayados, remember when that went down, we talked a lot about the end of his contract at Cruz Azul and a potential move to Europe. Of course, from the media side, from the fan side, I think a lot of people wanted to see him make that jump to Europe. He didn't. I don't know if the window closed, but I think right now, looking at it, he's probably regretting it, isn't he? Uh, I bet he's re regretting uh, a lot, especially um, as he sees Next other up. players making that one, making that jump. There you go. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Let's move on to Major League Soccer, the good, the bad, and the ugly from the weekend that was in MLS. So with the Galaxy, Herc. You had them in the bat a lot recently. Now they're in the good. Dejan Jovalic off the bench. Four goal involvements as the Galaxy beat Austin 4-1. to one. How about that little back heel to Chicharito? This is a good ball from Julian Alvarez right there. And listen, the whole back heel is sick. It's disgusting. Great assist. It makes the goal. But that wasn't it. A uh, uh, little fortune there, but you got to be there to have that fortune. His first goal of the evening. That's two involvements right there, Seb. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can count. Well done. Here's his uh, brace. What'd you think of that finish? I mean, you tell me you're the finisher. I like this better. Look at this. Oh, oh my. The assist to Efra. Oh my goodness. And the goal. How about Efra's goal? Good little goal. That's a good finish but, too, right? But the presence of mind here. Like, this is better than the goals. This is honestly such a good assist. Presence of mind. Bicycle kicks it into his path. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Galaxy riding that open cup high. All right, so your former team made the good. My favorite team made the bad. DC United, they lost 4-1 to Atlanta Cup rivals New York Red Bull on Saturday. It's the fifth straight for DC United, Herc, oh, without a win. Fifth straight, you can count. Um, yes. How about Sometimes. that? Four goals on this one. Bill Hamid can't do nothing about that. It's just nah, from nah, bad nah. to worse, Seb. I mean, you know why this isn't the bad? Not because they what? lost. Not because they've lost five straight, but because since they decided that the Open Cup wasn't worth their time to concentrate on league play, they've been terrible. Mm. Now, imagine how bad they would have been if they would have played that game. I'm glad they saved themselves. <laughs> Remember who it was that they were eliminated by in the Open Cup? Who was it? That's right, the same New York Red Bulls. That one was also, that I think it was also a, uh, Isn't that your a three goal difference. 4-1 in this MLS match, 3-0 in that one. And there you go, since bailing on the Open Cup, DC United on the struggle bus in MLS play. Plenty more, ah no, next up, the ugly. Oh man, this feels like a repeat. This Chicago Fire winless week's. in 11 no. after a 3-2 loss to Toronto. This was last week's, no? Or the week before. Uh, uh, that's another one on Gaga right there. Ah, uh, this is what I'm talking about. It's ugly to see such promise. And I'm talking about Ezra Hendrickson too, because I like Ezra. I'm talking about Chicago Fire because I like the organization. I like the market. They need to thrive. Like if we include Open Cup, that's 11 straight, right? And against two, Toronto. Like Toronto's been struggling as well. Yeah. You know, and they beat you. We tried. We tried. We looked around everybody else in MLS. We said, who can we make the ugly? What can we make the ugly? Chicago fans, I'm sorry. We couldn't find anything else. If you, if you got a suggestion, hit us up. But all we could think of is the team that right now is 14th in the Eastern Conference. That is Chicago. Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, Vancouver RSL on ESPN+. To the women's game, Katarina Macario scores again. This time, Lyon against PSG early on. 
as Lyon sealed its 15th French League title with a 1-0 victory over their rivals on Sunday. This one came early, Herc. Yeah, the center back still, uh, look at this, still looking for for that lane, I guess. Like, just wide open, she'll take advantage of that. Kind of, you know, this is such a good goal. Shows presence of mind, shows speed, shows the finishing ability. She has everything. Yeah, look at that, uh, another trophy. Yet another trophy for Katarina Makaro having just a great season and a great stint since moving over to Lyon. Now, what will it mean at the senior international level, Herc, here's the big question. Macario's on fire. Ain't nobody doubting that. All right. But tomorrow, if you're Vladko Ananovsky and you got to win a game with the U.S. Women's National Team, who are you starting at the number nine spot? Macario or Morgan? Macario. It's not a question for me right now. Now, I understand that Vladko and a lot of fans want to see this generational shift. They want to see mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. new players. They want to see the young players. Uh, so that would be part of it. Yeah, but that's not why I'm keeping her in this. I'm keeping her in this because she's, quite frankly, the better goal scorer. And bear with me. Okay? Bear with me. Alex Morgan is a beast. And she's performing right now at a, mm -hmm. at a level that we're accustomed to seeing her. But Katarina's been a freshman for, what, all a year and a half? And she's already one of the premier goal scorers in the world. Katarina could play as a nine. She could play underneath the nine as a, as a 10. She could play on the wing, on the right, on the left. I don't have to worry about where I play her, but as a nine, she's so complete that she could finish plays, create for others, and create for herself. Now, when I say create for herself, she's not gonna just use her speed. She's gonna use that dribbling ability, she's gonna use the craftiness, she's gonna use that uh, high IQ, if you will, to score goals and have other score goals. And on the defensive side, I know that tactically I can press with her. I don't think I can do that with Alex Morgan today. I go Macario. Wow, okay, going with youth over experience. Look, the question, or at least the way that I phrase it, was to win right now. For that reason, I'm going with Alex Morgan. Katarina Macario is a great player, a great player, but on finishing, right? If you've got to win a game against equal competition where how efficient you are in front of goal is going to make the difference, I got to go with Alex Morgan. I got to go with it because of the track record, and I honestly got to go with it because of what we're seeing right now with the San Diego Wave. I also have to go with Alex Morgan at the number nine because you can move Katarina Macario around in a way that I don't think you can move Alex Morgan around. Julie Foudy has come on this show and said, hey, Alex Morgan's playing a little bit wide for San Diego. She's playing wide. I don't think you're moving Morgan at the international level. I think you can move Macario. You could have her play wide. You could play her as a 10. You could play her any which way. You can get her on the field in a million different ways. you got to have a finisher. And right now, I think Alex Morgan's a better finisher. I know, I know Macario's great, and she's been doing it at the, at, at the domestic level in France. Go back and look at some of the international performances. She's not as efficient. She's not as clinical in front of goal at that level. Whoa, 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 whoa. We could say the same about Alex Morgan in the past. Just as recently as the Olympics, we could say the same. Now, she's been a professional for all a year and a half. She's still learning. But today, Seb, today, mm -hmm. she's doing it at the highest level. She's one of the premier goal scorers in the world. Now, I understand what you're saying about Alex Morgan, but it's almost a contradiction because if you have Alex Morgan, I think you believe you said Mallory Pugh, and per last week's winger depth chart, it would be uh, Morgan Press. So, I, where are you going here? I'm going to the next topic here on Football America. That's where we're going. O.L. Reign, San Diego is speaking of Alex Morgan. O.L. Reign with an uh, early chance there from Rose Lavelle. She wouldn't break through, but uh, oh, here it is. Uh -oh. 69th minute, Rose Lavelle going coast to coast meek, meek. and nearly opening the scoring. Meek, meek. I mean, somebody want to get the license plate on that? I just ran through everybody. Woo! The assist, Rose Lavelle, the diving header. There's your game winner. Okay. Look at Sofia Huerta with a nice little cross right there. Somebody, anybody, honor, diving header. Ridiculous goal. Not really what we think of when we think of Rose Lavelle, right? The diving headers, but certainly adding that to her game. Angel City, Gotham FC. Angel City playing at home. Uh, Herc, were you at this one? No, I've not gotten the invite from Julie, nor the producer who goes all the time. He lost wow. my number all of Puro a sudden. Pretexto. He lost my number. Gotham grabbing the early lead. I mean, they're just so good at home. They pounce on everything. 
Oh, there it is. There it is. That's where they pounce on everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Gotham FC, Angel City. I'm telling you what, they had chance after chance after chance in this game. But Gotham FC with a stellar defensive and really goalkeeping performance manages to keep the clean sheet. Chicago, Portland. Two of my favorite wingers in the U.S. pool. Mallory Pugh, Sophia Smith getting it done. Each scoring in this 2-2 draw. Yeah, Mallory Pugh's uh, been on fire. That's a good little goal for her in between traffic. You almost forget how young she is. She's been around forever. That's a good goal. You were talking about my winger depth chart, right? Yeah, I think I had press I one, Pew two. I think I had Sophia Smith four, Rodman five. No, Rodman three, Purse five, uh, if memory serves. So my two and my four going toe to toe here and both getting on the score sheet as the Thorns and Red Stars play to a 2-2 draw. Hmm. Hmm. Let's look at the NWSL table, Herc. Look at the new kids. New kids on the block getting it done. That's insane. I mean, who would have thought both expansion teams would be one and two in the league in San Diego number one? It just blows my mind. It does, although the, the idea that expansion teams have to struggle for like a long time is kind of antiquated, right? We certainly see it in MLS. You can, you can come in and compete right away. Hey, huge game Wednesday. 2.45 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN Plus, ESPN2, World Cup qualifier, Scotland against Ukraine. Remember, it could be one of these two teams that works their way into the U.S. group in Qatar. So a must-watch game Wednesday before you watch the U.S. against Morocco on ESPN2, Scotland against Ukraine. Herc, who you got in that one? It's difficult not to go with Ukraine, right? I mean, if they make the World Cup, they're going to be the World Cup darlings. They're going to be a dangerous team for anybody. Wow, going against Scotland. Look at you with your anti-Craig Burley, no, anti-Steve Nickel ways. Yeah, there you go. Mark Donaldson, <laughs> you could add more to it. Yeah. All right, so we are not back on Thursday. Programming update. We are here Wednesday. After U.S. against Morocco from Cincinnati, we will be live on ESPN2 and even more after that right here on ESPN+. Do not miss it. He's Herc. I'm Sebi. Thanks for watching. We'll see you Wednesday night after the game. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.